welcome everybody. Yes, welcome, welcome. How are you? How are you? So I'm Tashelle. I'm a diversity, equity, and inclusion practitioner and learning consultant. And this is, I think this is the right, right? That's the This direction. way, it's opposite of what you think. <laughs> I'm Mel, I'm an author and a social ethicist. So welcome to Brave Space, where we'll be having some tough conversations around anti-oppression and communal healing. Um, and today we're going to be talking about unlearning whiteness and white folks doing anti-racism work. What does that look like and how is it done? Um, and we'll go through, we actually have a special guest, so I'm really, really excited for that. But wait a second. So we'll be having this conversation. Our guest will be with us. And then we'll, if we have enough time, because who knows how, the, how great this conversation will go, we'll go through some things that happened this week. And then an audience question, I do have one if we get to it. If not, we'll roll it to next week. But our special guest for today is Jolly Good Ginger. I know you've all seen him all over TikTok. And when we asked him for a bio, he gave us the shortest bio possible. And I love it. He was like, I'm from the mountains of North Carolina. I was raised with the Confederate flag in my front yard. Um, and now he works to com combat racism by seeking to educate white America. And we'll have to really talk about that and what racism is and how we pass it along to our children. So if you can um, help us in welcoming our guest, Jolly Good Ginger. Woo! Hey! hey. Welcome to Th the show. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. Looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Too. So we wanted to get into this conversation and I really want to hear about you all's backgrounds, you know, as you're doing this work as white people, what does that look like? But where, but more importantly, where do you come from? How do you do this work? And I'm going to like last week when we had a guest, I'm going to take a, a little bit of a backseat this week and be, you know, lobbing some questions at our folks and, 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 and engaging in the conversation that way, not completely out of the conversation, but I really want to get to hear from you all, how you do this work and how you unlearn whiteness. So Jolly, if you could tell us a little bit about your background and what brought you to this point in the work. Yeah, sure. I mean, as you said, I am, I am from the mountains of North Carolina. Um, what's unique about, you know, the kind of, I'm from Western North Carolina and there's a lot of small towns in Western, Western North Carolina. That's kind of how Western North Carolina is populated, small towns everywhere. Uh, and I was from one of those small towns. Um, the mountain I grew up on shouldn't probably even be called a mountain. It was more like a hill, um, but it was, it was Crowder's Mountain. And, you know, I just a typical rural area, predominantly white. Um, everybody in my neighborhood's white. That's all I know is white people. Yes, there was a Confederate flag in my front yard. That's what I knew. That was life as I knew it, right? Racism was casual, you know? the n-word was casual that was just you know it wasn't that you referred to a black person as an n-word when you're angry or you know want to make a point that's that that was just the descriptor right that's just how you refer to black people in general um and so that was you know kind of life for me and it wasn't just racism it was bigotry in general right mm -hmm. uh, i grew up in a place where you know the, the the church i went to every sunday and wednesday was you know fire and brimstone you know uh, if you're gay, lesbian, transsexual, that, well, transgender now, but back growing up, they always call it transsexual. They always call it. But um, you're going to hell. God don't approve of your life. Um, you know, my mom and dad had divorced. My mom remarried to a black man. And I was told that God didn't approve of her marriage and that uh, her children were bastards because of that. That's kind of the environment I grew up in. Um, and it was more, I call it casual racism. You know, it was very casual racism and bigotry. And that's 
that's all I knew. That's 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 what you grow up. That's what you see. That's what you know. And Mel, how about you? Does does your um, background and your upbringing match that, or how is it different from um, what Jolly has just shared with us? I would say it's similar in the fact that I was definitely in a white bubble, not exposed to a lot of folks from other ways of life. I grew up in a, a farming town on the coast of California, pastor's family, and uh, we were those quote unquote nice right, white people who didn't see color, more or less. And I guess the counterpoint to Jolly's experience of the covert, the, the overt racism I would definitely characterize my upbringing as the the covert racism, the the, the colorblind, the um, separatistic kind of um, like some hush hush comments about other people. Right, there were a lot of migrant farm workers in my town, very segregated along uh, white and Latinx lines. So for us, it was um, it, it it was just. It was uh, something that we didn't have to address or think about it because we weren't the problem, more <laughs> or less. Mm, mm, but I didn't. I did remember, uh, still remember to this day, watching a white pastor in our church uh, take aside one of the only black men in the whole church of like two thousand people, and like very condescendingly explaining to him that you know we don't support Bill Clinton because uh, he's a Democrat and that's really bad. Like you can't be a Democrat and be a Christian. And like singling out this only black guy to like talk down to him and like belittle him and tell him what to believe politically. And that guy like didn't really come around to our community anymore very much after that, right? Um, But like not, so seeing things like this but not really having the language to understand why it felt the way it did or it worked the way it did until I got to college and I had a Nigerian roommate named Peju. And she, uh, I don't know if it's because I was saying colorblind, covert racist things, or I, I, I don't know what prompted her to do this, but she invited me to read the book Black Like Me with her and talk about it. And it was like super amazing that she decided to educate me. And I'm glad that I responded as like a you know 19 year old who didn't know much about the world. Uh, like I actually read the book, right? Um, so so she that was really one of my first initiations is having someone walk through this with me and teach me um even though i didn't know this is what i need to learn so so would you say jolly would you say like you i know you talked about your mom getting remarried so was that kind of like your initiation to being like wait was what i learned right was what i how how did that work you said your mom got remarried to a a black man. I so I get, I get asked, that that, right, dad. right. I get asked that a lot. Like, what was your turning point? And I, I'm hesitant. I'm hesitant to say turning point because it's right. it's un, deconstructing and unlearning racism is a journey and a process, Absolutely. and we must still be doing it. You know, so there was no point. I, I don't like to call, talk about a point, but there was definitely um, some highlights along the way, right? And so the story there is my mom and dad divorced when I was three years old. Um, my dad was already racist. My mom can tell you, you know, my mom for the most part, well, first of all, let's be clear. My dad married my mom when she was like 14. Um, and my dad at the time was 19. Um, I was born when my mom was 16 and my dad was 21. So, um, you know, obviously my mom's very easily influenced, I mean, in that environment. So, uh, my mom can tell you of the times pretty, my dad did some pretty, you know, outlandish stuff. Um, there's a story she'll tell you about a time that um, her and her dad, my dad's friend, um, Simon, who I knew growing up to, 
um, and his wife and then my dad were all at us. They went to a store and my dad saw two girls get out of a car and go into the store, two white ladies. And there was two black men in the car and it was about nine o'clock at night. And he wasn't happy about that. Wasn't happy that these black men were in town or that they were with a white woman. And so um, Simon and my dad instructed my mom and the other lady to, to go beat up the, the girls and teach them a lesson. And then they went and beat up the dudes. And that was like, that's my dad. So anyway, they divorced when I was three. Um, and yes, my mom did remarry to a black man. And my, my, my dad was awarded custody of me. Now I attribute that to a white lady married to a black man's not getting custody of her white child in in, right. in the eighties, right? This is the early eighties. You're not getting your child. So my dad got custody of me. Um, and from that point, I didn't see my mom. Now, obviously my dad had a concerted effort to keep me away from her. Um, and my dad pretty much two things. Number one, my dad's racism, right? There's a trope that says black men are out to steal white women. That's a, that's a thing. That's a belief. That's part of, uh, that's part of the stereotype that is literally an implicit bias that's built into racism. Absolutely. So now my dad's wife really did marry a black man. What do you have? You have all my dad's friends, everybody around the mountain saying, dude, she left you for a black man. Now, let's be clear. They weren't saying black man there. <laughs> right. right. I was they like, was... That, 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 that's a nice version of what they said. <laughs> yeah, correct. Yeah. Uh, but that's what that, that was the conversation. They left you for a black man. And so now my dad's racism, if you can turn the burner up, right? It's going, it's, 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 it's peaking. And then on the flip side of that, he's telling me, um, you know, lots of bad things about my mom. She's a horrible person. She, she's, you know, the devil on earth. Um, her marriage is not ordained by God. God doesn't approve of interracial marriages. That's not a thing. Therefore, at this time, she had a couple of children with her second husband. Um, therefore, her children are bastards, right? And so this is what I'm being taught. And, and, and I believe that. Why, why would I? I mean, this is my dad. Who, <laughs> I don't question him. Um, when I was 10 years old, my mom got um, visitation rights. She went to court. And I remember specifically my dad saying, hey, you're going to miss school next whenever. Next Wednesday, I'll just make a day up. But you're going to miss school um, because we're going to court. And I was like, well, I don't want to see her. Obviously, I didn't want to see her. I hated her. Right. Um, and went to court. Obviously, I didn't get a say in anything. And she was awarded uh, uh, visitation rights. And so I was pissed, man. I was mad. I didn't want to see her. And then the next Saturday came along with the first visitation. And I had set in my mind, I'll make sure this woman never picks me up again after today. And so what she decided to do was to take us to a, take me to a museum, a local museum that I, everybody knew about uh, as kind of a neutral ground. Let's not go straight to my house. Let's go to a neutral ground, which is smart of her. Uh, and I was just rude the whole way. The whole, so from the time she picked me up to the time we got to the museum, um, I told her everything. You know, you're an inward lover. All your children are inwards. God don't even approve of, of you and your bastard children. You regurgitating all that things your dad put Oh, 100%. Head. And she was saying, like, you know, that's your brothers and sisters you're talking about. And I would say, those little N-words aren't my brothers and sisters. That's what I was saying verbatim. I remember this car ride. It was a, it was a very traumatic experience <laughs> for me. It was almost like I, I felt like I was being kidnapped. You know, like, right, I don't want right, to be with right. this woman because I have been taught to hate this woman. Um, so anyway, she tolerated me for like how many, two hours, three hours with the museum and then took me back. And I was like, I was not nice the whole time. So I told my dad, I said, listen, cause she had visitation every other Saturday. I said, in two weeks, time, 10 o'clock, whatever time she won't be there. Don't worry about that. 
This visitation's over, I assure you that. Two weeks come along, she pulled up. And I couldn't, I, I couldn't fucking believe it. I said, she's picking me. Oh, my God. I couldn't believe it. So she picked me up, and this time I went to her house. And um, her, she's in a, she lives in an all-black neighborhood. She's literally the only white person in this neighborhood. And this is literally nothing I've ever been in in my life. I, I'm from an all-white neighborhood. If there, This is antithetical to everything I understand in life. So I go in, I sit on the couch, and I'm really not, I'm not interested in talking to anybody or whatever. And she's like, I want you to meet your brothers and sisters. And I'm like, I'm against this. But I don't say anything because I really don't have much control of the situation. My brothers and sisters come out at the time. Um, there was three brothers and sisters at the time. And they were so nice to me. Like, Russell, Russell. I, went, I was like, why do they want to see me for? Well, as it turns out, my mom had told them lots of nice things about me. This is your older brother. This, that, this, this, this. And every part of me wanted to be an asshole. I wanted to tell them how I feel about everything. Now, granted, they're younger than me, and I'm only 10. Okay? So they're not old. And they're just excited that, you know, my brother's showing me his Ninja Turtle, and, you know, and my sister's showing me her Barbie doll, and I'm like, I can't be mean to him. Could not bring it in my heart to be mean to him. Um, so I just, I just... They were there, and I was there. I, I can't say I was kind. They were. They were kind. I wasn't. Mm. Um, and then two weeks later, she picks me back up. And then this cycle <clears> starts. <throat> and I start developing a relationship with my brothers and sisters. And then they had a basketball goal. And I, and I, I fucking love basketball. So I grow up. Basketball is like my thing. I love basketball. Um, and so I found out that a basketball goal, like two houses down. We go on there. They, they, they're Yeah, you can play ball with us. Oh, great start playing ball and then I get to know the other people other kids not really the adults but the kids in the neighborhood and it just starts dawning on me like this is chill this is cool this is not however what my dad told me is happening mm -hmm. in the bad neighborhood this is not what my dad told me is happening in over there right this is how racism is taught it's taught by um, or you're going where Second Street? Be careful over there. That's the bad fear. neighborhood. No, yeah, that's just fear. that's just the black neighborhood, and 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 this titled bad, right? So now I I reached a point. I'm probably at the time eleven, and I have to come. I, I'm at this crossroads where I either choose what I see in front of my eyes, the reality in the bad neighborhood, or I believe what my dad's been telling me my whole life. As an 11-year-old child, I chose reality. I chose what's in front of my eyes. And I began this process of, quite frankly, a personal identity crisis. Um, not only am I prepubescent, pre right? Not only am I hitting puberty anyway, and life as, as a whole is a crisis. Now I've got this, you know, literally we're talking about whiteness tonight. What was my, I didn't understand what being white was anymore. I didn't understand what being black was anymore. And I, and I couldn't talk to my mom about it. I don't have that kind of relationship with her. I've known her all over a year, and I just stopped hating her. I not can't talk to my dad about it. Hey, dad, man, black people are not so bad. Let's have that fucking conversation. It's not going to happen. So now I'm an 11-year-old child, zero adult guidance, trying to navigate a very nuanced, complex conversation of me and identity and race in America. So I started just, you know, using what resources I had, books and this and that. And I, 
uh, I, I read Dr. King's book and I read um, Malcolm X, the biography on Malcolm X. I read um, speeches. I used to like to read. I, I got a lot of joy out of reading speeches in my head. I would imagine the speech happening and I'd read them and I enjoyed it. Um, and things just started speaking to me. And I started realizing, like, wow, this is literally a different experience than my America. You know, I re I'll never forget one of the most eye-opening moments of my life was I was watching an old interview uh, of Malcolm X um, on, on the TV. And, and, and he really just hit the national spotlight. Like Malcolm had just become, you know, national, a national uh, spotlight. And, and, the, and the guy on the TV was saying, what's your last name? It's not X. What's your last name? And the guy and, and Malcolm X, I don't know my last name. That's why I'm that's why it's X, because we don't know. I've never had a family name. My family name was taken from me and assigned to my, you know, my great grandparents from the slave master. And what you have to understand as me being a good old boy from the mountains, okay? Me being a a a a, a good old southern white boy, my family name was taught to me as everything. Whatever you do, uphold your family name. Whatever you do, make your family name proud. Whatever you do, this generation has to be better than the last generation for the family name. That's what I knew. I, I had this had been beaten to me since I was a child. Literally, it was it was a it was a, an important value of being white where I'm from. I'm sorry, being where I'm from, but being white is also true. But it was just your family name was everything. And then I'm hearing. Malcolm say I didn't I don't have a family name I it literally I, I still remember like I just I had this epiphany like holy this is seriously this is two Americas it's not a joke this is reality it's not a conspiracy theory it's not it's not a nobody's pulling the race card this is fucking real and his experience and my experience are not the same and that almost lit a, like it, it, it's like I went from studying and learning to being pissed off. Then I was mad. Like, how dare you tell me to uphold my family name and then strip his family of his family name? What the fuck kind of bullshit is that? That's hypocrisy. And I'm mad. And so yeah. then I really got really dive in and I started talking to some, um, I would talk to other members inside the community where my mom lived. Not so much my mom again. I just not, that's not I wasn't going to my mom for guidance. Um, and I would talk to like these, just older folk, older black folk. And man, they would just spit wisdom and it's like, damn, that's deep, you know? And I would listen and I would, and I, and I, and I just started, you know, and I would get pissed off. By the time I was 15, I was so pissed off. I told my dad, well, what happened was my dad's second wife, I don't call her my stepmom. She treated me like shit, fuck her. But my dad's <clears throat> second wife, we're driving down the road by the store. Uh, from by the grocery store and she was telling a story about a black person and she said that n-word and i said don't say that in front of me no more she said, what say what she didn't even know she said it right i said the n-word don't say that in front of me no more i don't want you to say it no more in front of me she goes who the fuck are you telling me what i can say in my car i said then park the car let, let me out get me out of the car right now so she took me at my word called my bluff as a word pulled over and i got the fuck out and she took off and i started walking she got home. My dad's, you know, where the hell is my son? And she's like, well, little smart, I dropped a little smart ass off. He could walk home. So my dad came and picked me up. Tells your problem. I said, dad, I don't want nobody to say that word in front of me no more. And he goes off, you know, you're not going to tell me what the hell I'm going to say in my house. And, you know what I mean? Um, and me and my dad got into a physical fight. Um, I lost by a lot, right? This was not like me. This was not my coming out. And this is not my moment. I, I lost. But I didn't lose. Mentally, I fucking won. 
because now people knew where I stood on it. You know what I mean? You stood up to him. Yeah. Yeah. And I stood up to the idea that I stood up to, and, and he used it. He would purposely use it after that stronger, you know, emphasize the mystery motherfucker you're in my house, but I didn't care. And so from that was that, I guess that was really my coming of age um, in terms of choosing reality over um, tradition, right? Choosing reality over what I've been taught. And for me, ever since then, it's been a journey. Um, yeah. You know, you, I know people watching don't know, but we were talking about an email that somebody sent you even before I came on your show. And they said, you know, he started this last year. No, 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 no. I've been doing this a really, really long time. Um, and I, can, I, I, I want to get into that, too. So I want to yeah. ask Mel, was was your journey, did yours mirror that in any way? Like when you found out, like, this is not what I knew, this is not what I experienced, or this book is very, like when you said you read Black Like Me, that book, or Black Like Me, because I think there's also a White Like Me by Tim Wise as well. But yeah. when you read that, like what kind of resonated with you? What was like, wait, that's not what I see. Like what kind of stood out to you? You know, it's it wasn't a single epiphany moment. I, I can't um, thank you so much for ch sharing your story because like yeah. mine was such a slower process because I was in such a white bubble for such a long time. Even my university was like 94% white, you know? So, um, you know, it's, I came at it really, I think full throttle in grad school studying under a queer black feminist pastor, learning about the black church and learning about all these ideas intellectually, uh, but not having the same access to black communities and not wanting to force myself into those communities as well, right? Like you, unless you're invited in and you have a reason to be there, like as a white person, you don't want to just like walk in and be like, hey, you are all my friends now, I'm going to tokenize you and like, you know. Which you like, would be surprised to know that I get asked, like people, I've had white people ask me, how do I make black friends? And I'm like, I, I don't, I don't know. I was like, go do regular stuff. <laughs> How do you make regular friends, dummy? Right. Yeah, right. But oh, we man. live in a segregated country, so like to such an incredible degree, still to this day. So, I I definitely appreciate your story, Jolly, because it's like a lot of white people don't have access to that. I think until until a lot of us, and, and this was the case for me, until I had a like a black person in my life who's willing to educate me or until you start seeing that some of these myths you were taught to believe, these hateful, bigoted myths aren't true and are so stupid and divisive for so many reasons. Um, you know, it's. I think it's almost impossible for white folks to see it. I mean, I it's, think it's still that same, but I, what the, the points that I'm seeing for the both of you are is that that access to what you didn't what you weren't around what you were kept away exposure. from what you didn't see right exposure so all of that yeah. all of that what becomes access which is so funny to me and i'm and just mirroring that with um because me and my friend one of my other friends we talk about this in um c training which is windows and mirrors things that reflect your experience and things that are different and one of the windows for me is that I grew up like like very much like jolly in a very black neighborhood but you know in a black i was black inner city neighborhood um, and the only we all every every inner city black neighborhood has like one white guy who everybody's cool with and they call him black whatever or white whatever like oh that's white Mike oh that's black Mike that kind of thing and I grew up in black high schools black middle schools black elementary schools but we always knew white people existed we always knew that white people like we knew and we knew how to act around people so mine it's funny that you both say that because what it mirrors for me 
is me going through college and having to learn about my own people, reading some of the books that you talked about, Mel, or some of the, you know, black feminist thought books, um, reading Malcolm X, reading Dr. King. Like we, everybody knows about Dr. When you go to black, black elementary school, you know, we always get the big six in school. It's black history month. Let's read those same big six, you know, people, mm-hmm. Rosa Parks without learning about Claudette Colvin, who came before Rosa Parks, that kind of stuff. So I always knew that, but it wasn't until I was in college that I was like, wait a minute, something ain't right. So it's funny to, it's funny that even, and I think this is something that, um, oh God, I can't remember her name. Jane Elliott said that we all, if you were educated in the American education system, you were taught racism, racism is part of it, right? Yeah, it's a part sure. of it, it's indoctrinated. And, and then it's for so many, this is why people who, um, are, are arguing that CR, CRT is happening in elementary schools, even though it's not, and it's not happening until college right. because it's happening in college, right? Mm-hmm. So that to me is so is such an interesting thing. But one of the things I want to ask you all is like, when you think about this, what like some are some of the mind shifts and, and, and specifically, I know Jolly, you talked about this a little bit, but like, how did some of your relationships change with the people around you? Like both, very white relationships, maybe family or friends or black people that you started to know, how did that really shift for you all? And I'll, I'll, um, I'll throw it to uh, Mel first and then I'll, Jolly, you can um, follow up with how that shifted for you. Sure. Yeah, so for me, um, I think it was uh, this implicit fear. I think there were two things. I think colorblindness for a lot of folks, it really turns into diversity erasure. Like, let's, and I've actually been told this by white people in my life. Like, let's just not talk about it. Like, let's just everyone act normal without mm-hmm. really unpacking that normal to them means white. You want everyone to be white. And if they're too ethnic or too spicy for you or whatever you have you, like, you know, am, you I like say, am I allowed to say spicy? Am I allowed to say spicy? I don't know. Yeah, um, yeah, the, yeah no, no, uh, but that's the thing. You know, it's it, it, not questioning that white normativity where the white people are allowed to remain in the center and be anonymous. That I think is was waking up to that and understanding that was really powerful. Um, and the second thing, I can't remember my train of thought, so I'll kick it to Jolly and then come back to me. No, so um, I agree with you in terms of white is normal, right? That's what we're taught. That's the standard. That's, that's American white supremacy. Uh, in August, I, I gave a speech in Kenosha. I was very honored to be welcomed to be a guest speaker there. And in my speech, I even said just that. I said, people say, let's not talk about race because in white America, if you don't talk about race, it doesn't exist, right? So mm-hmm. um, it is true. Here's the thing. I, I often say this. I say it as a shock factor to get people's attention. But I say I love racists. I love them. I love racists. What? What? Let me tell you why. And you love racists too. Let me tell you why. Your mama's a racist, your daddy's a racist, your uncles are racist, your aunts are racist, your cousins are racist, and you love them. See, I was taught racism by a man that I love. I was taught racism by a man who, when I scraped my knee, would hug me and say, it's okay, and here's a Band-Aid. I was taught racism by a man who took me trick-or-treating. <laughs> Sorry. So I, I was taught racism. My dad, it, it's hard to talk about that, you know. Um, but I was taught racism mm-hmm. by my parents, you know. And um, when you're taught something by somebody you love, you don't see the bad in that something, right? <clears throat> because you got to understand, racists are good people. What? Yes. Because racism, we are people. People need to understand this is not a two-dimensional topic, and we are not two-dimensional people. We're not drawn on paper. 
We are complex, nuanced beings. A racist still loves their family, still wants to do good and contribute to society and fight for their country, as it were, and has a set of morals and values and ethics. But as a, but their racism is still inherent in them, and that is deadly, and that is toxic, and that kills people, right? So we have to separate the character trait. We got to separate the toxic reality of this existence from the person. White people hate being called racist worse than actual racism, because a white person, Absolutely. a white person has never experienced racism. A white person yeah. may have prejudiced instances but they never experienced racism whereas every fucking time you go somewhere you're going to be reminded that you're you know whatever in this case you're black everywhere you go you're gonna be reminded you're black a white person not gonna be reminded they're white every fucking where they go maybe isolated incidents but they get called racist a lot and i tell people this how many people have called you a murderer last week how many people called you a thief last week? Well, none. Nobody. You know why? You weren't doing anything to make somebody think you're a fucking murderer. So if everybody's calling you a racist, why? Right? So we got to separate the fact that my dad, if you ask anybody about my dad around the mountain, he was actually well known in the mountain for lots of different reasons. If you ask anybody in the community, if you ask other family members of mine, literally great upstanding man literally he was the go-to guy call him two o'clock in the morning he's there he's got your back if we're driving down the road and somebody's broken outside the road he's pulling over we're fixing their car no matter who they are and no matter how long it takes us we're, we'll spend money to buy whatever part they need one day at one time on my instagram i posted a bunch of pictures of my dad and um people were like whoa i've heard a lot of stories about your dad and that's not what i expected him to look like and that's why i did it because none of the pictures he was wearing a clan hood right so you got to understand these are still people right, right. with complex relationships with other people, and they literally don't understand racism. Now, you hear me say all that and say, oh, here's a white guy making a bunch of excuses for racism. <laughs> then you haven't watched my content, right? So I understand those complexities, but I believe in no safe spaces for racists because I really feel like that's how you defeat it. You smoke it out. So how did my relationship change? I fight... I don't cut anybody off. I don't I don't stop relationshiping with anybody because then who's going to tell them? Then who's going to call them out? Then who's going to educate them if not me, right? So I maintain my relationships the best I can until they there is lots of people have cut me off throughout the years. Um, I've shed tears over that um, <laughs> because, you know, family is an important thing and there's been a lot of studies done that people with complex family structures actually live longer and they're healthier and that's a real thing um and so when i look back like what is my family now it's it's, it's, it's a very small circle of people very small mm -hmm. and that can be depressing at times um because people have cut me off because i don't let anybody slide on shit i don't let them slide they make a joke i'm just joking okay let's talk about joking bro Let's talk about where joking leads, bro. Let's talk about where that comes that from. that guy at every Thanksgiving. Correct. And, every, and I tell people, I, but I, the thing is, I tell people that same thing. So I remember being in grad school and we were, t you know, we wanted to have these rounds. This is when Obama was president and everybody was like, now race is a conversation we should be having. And they were, we were talking and somebody was like, well, we need to be having these conversations, but who do I have them with? And I was like, listen, they're like, how can I help, right? White people get in into this work and we'll talk a little bit about that. How can I help? And I said, if you're not talking to the people around you, you can't help me. That's right. Because you love right. them. So how are you going to talk to people you don't love? 
Yeah. Right? If you are scared to sit in, at your Thanksgiving table with your family and have these conversations, then I know that it's only going to be out there. It's never going to be in here. Mm-hmm. It's never going to be around you. And that's the, that's the, the, this, and I always tell people, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm curious to hear about how it's really in, impacted you all, because I always tell people the hardest part of this work is looking in the mirror. Like Here's people the thing. really think it's not, but it really is. 100%. Let me, let, let me say two things. I'm glad you opened that door because this is something I love fucking talking about. I talk about a lot. So what I see with white people a lot is exactly what you just said. Oh, man, I couldn't imagine being black in America. I just, you know, how can I help? What can I do? Okay, I got an answer for you. Save your empathy. Because you're right. You, you can't imagine what it's like to be black in America. You can't. It's fucking impossible. There's nothing you can do to be black in America. You're white. So save your empathy and fix your cousins. That's the message, right? Yep. If you're not at home, and I don't mean home as if like maybe you don't live at home with your family, that's fine. If you're not, especially these days, social media makes the world real small. We, we're mm-hmm. all, you know, your family's following you on Facebook. If, if you're watching your auntie post some racist shit, call her out. Yeah. Right there. Right. Boom. Let's go. Yep. Let's have a conversation. Let me talk. Let me explain it. So if you see her, you know, posting some bigoted, some transphobic, it's got to be called out. If you go to the gym and you want to become, you know, stronger, better, bigger, how do you do that? You got to push yourself past your comfort zone and get to that uncomfortable place where you grow. Same thing's true with this, right? So we have to push people into uncomfortable places and have uncomfortable conversations. So if you're not ready to save your empathy and fix your cousins, you're not ready to help anybody. You're still growing. And let me say this. I hear a lot of people say I was raised around racists. Oh man, I know a lot of racists growing up. I hear I don't hear enough people say I was raised by racists. You know why? Because of what I just said earlier. Well, my mom and dad aren't bad people. They're I love them. They weren't racist. No, 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 no. Listen, listen. If you go and cast a net out in the ocean and, and catch a school of fish, pull them out, all the fish look alike. They 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 stay together as a school. If you was raised around racists, you wasn't. Either you were the fucking beacon of hope in the neighborhood and you were out there every weekend saying, hey, everybody stop being racist, man. We're not racist around here. Or you were racist, buddy. Okay, your mom and dad was in the same neighborhood as racist. You were in the same school as racist. You were raised around them because you were them. And that's okay. White people have to be okay with understanding. White people think that being a racist or that being accepting racism or accepting racist, I have racist ideas or racist. I, I've, I've now marked myself as a bad person. Oh, I, yeah. watched, I mean, I it's not okay to be racist, but I, I see what you're saying. Like, it's <laughs> it's not okay no, to, be not racist, okay to right? be racist, but, but it's, it's okay, okay to understand it's okay to that you it. are. It's okay to admit it Correct. because that's the first step in recovery. Yeah, the word of that anything. is coming to mind of anything. Yeah, mm-hmm. the word that's coming to mind in as like a kind of unifying theme in these stories is is the word betrayal, like the betrayal of learning that this person you look up to is holding these horrible views or that the person like in my case, the, the community that I was raised in, the church I was raised in had this absolute silence and this absolute complicity and and just checked out and would have this like once a year, like racial reconciliation service where they would like get together with people of color and like pray and cry and like feel better. And that was fighting racism. But it was so shallow and so hollow. And so it's almost, I would say, more harmful because you're you just think you can f- magically fix racism by saying some but magic words. Thing. It's that's- fixing you're fixing racism out there and not in here. In here. It, right, exactly. It, it's, right. It's not your thinking. And this is what I tell people all the time, because what you talked about, Jolly, is kind of is what Robin D'Angelo calls in her book before her book even became a good book. It was she wrote an article called The Good Bad Binary. 
and white people see racist as people in KKK hoods. They don't mm-hmm. see it as them. They don't see it as regular. They don't see it. Nobody. It's like until 2020, nobody even saw it in our education system. I'm going to tell you something that you just said that's on the, on the money. And this is something I've said a thousand times over. And it's something I believe in. White people see racism as a light switch. Okay. When you're a racist, the light switch is on. It's up. Mm-hmm. When you're not a racist, the light switch is off. So light switch is on. How do I turn it off? Well, I talk to a black person. <laughs> oh, I, I have a black friend. Oh, it's, it's a very two-dimensional concept. Either yeah. you're racist or you're not. There, there is no in-between. And what is up? What is on? It's what you just said. It's right. it's riding around on a horse, burning crosses with a clan hood on. It, it's saying the N-word in the middle of the town square. It's saying, I hate all black people. I got a cousin, real life story. I got a cousin who's racist as shit. But he'll tell you he's not. I'm not racist. If he heard me say this right now, he would want to fight me. He would want to physically fight me for saying he's a racist. How fucking dare I? Now, if I now in his defense, not me defending him, the way he defends himself, I'm not a racist. You understand? In high school, I was on the football team, and there was white kids and black kids on the football team, and we had to work together to win games. I'm not racist, bro. Listen to me. If you got to go 25 years ago in your past to a time when y'all played a sport together. As your defense, you racist, bro. But then, I, you, what you brought up actually brings up another point that I talk about with people is that white people, but even the concept of how white people assume that black people's proximity to them makes them less yes, racist, but right. then also that that's a good thing for the black people. Not as yeah. if I dug into Jamal's past and, and or I, I, I learned that Jamal was facing a lot of racism and I wanted to help him do something about it, but because Jamal is near me, he's a good black person and I'm a good white person and only Jamal, not Jamal's cousins, brothers, sisters, just Jamal because I know him. And it's this thing that white people, that and I, when we say white, oftentimes I always tell people that this is white supremacy because white people not arguing against racism and things that happen in this manner are, you know, it's, it's hurting white people too, because they don't even realize that it's, it's a part of the problem as well, that they're like trying to reach out this toxic perfectionism, which is why you can't say I have racist thoughts or actions or bias or, or prejudice, because if you do, you're now a bad person. White supremacy. Right, it, it has made you a bad person. You can't be mm-hmm. like, or, like you have to let that go because you're never the progress. A perfect is the enemy of progress. Like you are not going to be perfect in doing this work. You're not going to be perfect in being a white. But like there is, there are no perfect white people, right? Mm-hmm. I listen. I'll tell you that I didn't even know that white people went to church. I grew up in an all black neighborhood, and somebody said. Yeah, you know, when I, I was like 20-something, and somebody said, yeah, well, you know, when, when my family goes to church on Sundays, I said, white people go to church? <laughs> and I was like, like the same church that I go to church? And they're oh like, yeah, and it's because I had never saw a white person in church. Wow. And on and if you watch white TV shows, there's never, Friends doesn't have an episode where they all went to church. Like, that's not <laughs> a thing. But every black TV show got, a, got an episode where they're coming from church. Yeah. So I never knew that that was a thing. So it's so interesting to me that white people get so hung up on that that they're like I'm not racist I can't be racist and what you what you said Jolly is also very indicative because it is pointing to that one black person that was near you somewhere in the past and Eduardo Benia Silva who writes a book called Racism Without Racist and he talks about this so he interviews a string of white people and he asks them these questions and they say oh I have black friends 
And it's like my neighbor down the street who I saw two weeks ago take out his trash and we both went to each other. And that's the extent of their relationships. Because if you were in relationship with people, but I, I, I mean, I can't even say that because for sure because I had think a friend say to me. If I'm not actively me, trying to kill my neighbor, then what the hell? Right, I exactly. Back. The bar is so I had, low. I had Correct. a white person say to me once, I have black friends and they never told me any of these things were happening. And I said, you need to go back to all of your black friends, all of them, because I feel like when you say my, my black friends, it's probably like one or two, ask them why they never told you and be ready to hear that answer. Because yeah. if they really are your friends, you can ask them that. And they're either going to tell you, I didn't want to burden you because they thought it was going to be a burden to you or they weren't your friends to begin with. So you may not even ask them, but I've, you know, I've had that happen. So I just think that that's, that it's, it, it is one of those Issue. So one of the things I really want to talk about in this unlearning whiteness journey or this journey can I can I add something before you switch absolutely. from that topic? Yeah, yeah, just yeah, because absolutely. I wanted to add on to what you just said, because it's on the money growing up in white America and every white person in America has heard this. Anybody who says they haven't heard this is lying to you. Um, but every white community has this concept built into it. And that's there's a difference between a black man and beep the N word. This is oh, literally this is literally this is this is just a fabric. This is a token. This is a bullet point of what is white America. And, and, it, and that's what it is. White people. I'm not racist. I love I, anybody who works hard and supports their family and, and, and follows the law. And, you know, they say these things. I'll support them. So but but so by implication, what the problem with that ideology is a black man's guilty until proven innocent. You're mm -hmm. an N-word until you prove to me that you fit my criteria, like Mel said earlier, which is spot on the money. You spit you fit my criteria of what is a good person. Well, what is a good person is how close to you are, are how close are you to my whiteness? How yeah. close are you to making me feel comfortable as a white man? Okay. Oh, absolutely. Um, so I wanna ask so I wanna ask you both. So before we you know, this is such a good conversation. Let's define whiteness for for viewers because we're talking about unlearning whiteness. Obviously, it's an oxymoron that you can totally unlearn whiteness. Like Jolly and I cannot stop being white, obviously. Okay, right. so when we talk about unlearning whiteness, what do we mean by that? I, I personally, I, I equate whiteness um, to as the blanket that covers white supremacy, right? So without whiteness, you can't have white supremacy um, because it'll be exposed. And I yeah. think that whiteness is is the systemic norm that we've assigned to society, right? So, um, let's, we, and you can apply that to so many things. Like, so if you go to, we talk about, let's talk about the workplace and hair, because how common is that a conversation is yes. how your hair looks in the workplace. <laughs> What's the norm? White people, right? You're still allowed to legally discriminate against black people in some states for certain yeah. hairstyles. Correct, correct. In yeah. the military, it was the same thing in the military. I was in the army for 13 years, same thing. Uh, let's talk about, you know, what's normal, you know, um, etiquette, it, like how loud you can be. Right. I was going to say loud music, how loud you can play your music. Let's talk about there's every aspect of what is unacceptable is what is anti-normal. What is normal? White. And that is that to me. That's to me. That's how I see whiteness. Um, I say all the time, I say white people this and white people that. And then, you know, the people in my comment section, you know, you're white, right? That that was your intellectual contribution to this conversation. That was it. That was that, what you. Obviously, I get that one I know so much too. Right. Yeah. Well, Did I'll you know you're you, white? Go, Did you know? Yeah. I'll go into the little bit of the the academic background of it. So, and we talked a little bit about this last week about interracial dating, right? 
So the longest running racial law is miscegenation, 1664 to 1964, where black um, people couldn't marry white people, right? But the, the thing that, that, that I say that, that links to this is that they had to come up with the term to, and they, so they had to create the term white because if there are European settlers, but from Spain, from Portugal, from, from Ireland, from Italy, what do we call all of them, right? So when we talk about what is whiteness, they had to come up with a term that linked all of these people together to, because whiteness is created for supremacy, right? Correct. It is the, the property owning right. class. And because you owned women, because women were property as well, for women, if a woman who whose father passed down property to her married a black man, then that property became his. And to stop that from happening and then to stop people from getting legislative votes and things like that, they created the term white after Bacon's Rebellion. So this is where the term, well, so when we're talking about whiteness and white people, the reason that white people have to call them or choose to and get to be a part of whiteness now is because white is America. Right, is that's, that's, that's why we you're right. It's, right. It is America, but we all you all have a past that you could probably very easily, as 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 Jolly was talking about a little bit earlier, trace your name back to. My name, my last name, comes from a slave owner, right? So, but your last name comes from a place, and I can't, no matter how much ancestry DNA I do, because I've done it, it will link me to the to the west of Africa, literally. All up and down, so it, it's a so whiteness is a is a slave, you know. It's and I'm sorry, not a slave. It is a, an owning class made for supremacy specifically. That is not encompassing white people. That's not encompassing the, the people of today. But it is. It becomes now. It has become the norm. It is as as Jolly said that net over everything. Right, everything that is normal is white. So when people say things like, "Well, America is a melting pot," well, yeah, we made white soup. So if everything comes together, it's gonna make white suit. That's how we have to act, that's how we have to be. And when we talk, as he talked about with um, norms in the workplace, professionalism. I had a coworker and, and she, she's, I know I, I saw her make a comment earlier that somebody said, I had, a, co I had a, a manager who only wore black clothing every single day. And my coworker would wear bright colors. Sometimes she wear African print grub. And she said, oh, she looks very tacky and it's unprofessional. How about the fact that you come into every meeting and don't speak to anybody is unprofessional. But she called her unprofessional because she wore bright colors. Mm -hmm. But that's a part of our heritage. And even though they tried to beat all of those things out of African slaves, some of that got passed down to us. So this is this thing about whiteness that it, it has a standard or mm -hmm. it becomes the standard for which everything is measured by everything. And now let's clear. extrapolate from that. Let's, mm -hmm. let's, I, I do this all the time. Let's do an extrapolation <laughs> exercise. So now that we understand and we've had a conversation that white is the norm, mm -hmm. what's the number one thing every human being alive hates more than anything? Let's think about this. Let's think about what people just fucking hate doing. Like, so when you have a meeting at work and they say, hey, listen, guys, we're making some changes. As soon as they say that, what do people do? Oh, God, what are the changes? Right. Or this change is the hardest thing for people to do. Change is not welcome. People are comfortable in what people are comfortable in their their little groove spot. Right. When we talk about defeating white supremacy, you must do it by deconstructing whiteness. So when I say that whiteness is the norm in America. In order for us to deconstruct, we have to now say, let's extrapolate past this. How do we go from this being the normal to white supremacy being dead? 
it requires change from white America and nobody else. It requires change from white America. We're asking yeah. white America to change and nobody else. So now what are they going to do? They're going to stomp their feet and say, no, why do I got to change? Why do I got to, why do I got to give in to them? Why do I, and this is where literally everything is that simple. It's that simple and, and, and it's that childish of a debate. The true debate, the true conversation that people don't want to have, and I mean, I say people, I'm talking about white America. The true conversation that white America doesn't want to have is they they hate, they don't want to welcome change. The people that kind of make their way on this side of the fence and, and, and we call it woke or whatever the hell word you want to call it now, those are the people that are accepting of the change. But the people that are, I don't want to change, listen, whiteness is the norm. And if we're going to defeat white supremacy, white America has to change. And it's not, and it's what it's, it's, it's the same thing. I, I used to be, I used to run several car dealerships and everything. And when we, every time we would change something, I would always tell people, listen, guys, it's not going to be as bad as you think it is. I promise you, we're going to make sure everybody still gets you've paid been a the supervisor, same. You've had to try to conjole. Yeah, right, 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 right. <laughs> we're going to, we're going to make sure everybody gets paid the same. Your pay plans are staying the same. We're just moving the used car from this side a lot. That's all. I promise you guys it ain't going to be that bad. Okay, you know, and so people hate change. And once once we understand that white is the norm, then the uncomfortable truth is to make white supremacy go away. White people have to change. I love your analogy of white whiteness as the blanket that covers white supremacy. Because you ever like you ever been in a nap and you've been all cozy under a, a warm, toasty blanket and then someone rips mm. the blanket off you and it's freezing like that jarring feeling of like, no, where'd my comfort go? But a lot of us white folks and myself included, you know, we hide under that blanket. We don't we don't right. see the carnage and the death and suffering that's happening outside the blanket. We're just like, oh, oh we just care about ourselves. People, this is why white people really don't didn't know and and some will forget and then have to be taught again that racism happened before 2020 because yeah. everybody's talking about 2020 as the breaking everybody right, but one right, of right, so right. one of my questions then to you all is what what thrusts you into putting yourself in this work and how does that work for like what does it mean to you and how does it work for you i want to get into that a little bit and then i want to talk about some of the things that may be a little sticky for you all like what are some of the things that you constantly have to work on but why what what made you want to do anti-racism work so let me jump in and i'll, I'll i'd love to yeah, see yeah, what yeah. you have to say John. Ahead, so sure. so for me it was learning about colonization in particular and not understanding you know in, in my my uneducated state not understanding how, you know, my ancestors came over from Ireland during the potato famine, poor white folks, right? Uneducated, lower class, low class white folks. Well, how can I be the problem? I say I love everybody. Not understanding that as soon as the minute my ancestors stepped foot on this, on this continent and Irish people started being, you know, in, in, um, folded into whiteness, I, reap the benefits of colonization all those hundreds of years ago. I reap the benefits. I, mm -hmm. I reap all the privileges of being considered white by the color of my skin, right? So mm -hmm. if that's true, there's no such thing as being neutral in this fight. There's no such thing. You can't, mm -hmm. being silent is siding, is staying under the blanket. You're either under the blanket or you're outside of the blanket. You don't get to not have a relationship to the blanket. You're either in or out. So pick your side and you're going to get called a race trader. I've been called a race trader. I know you have, Jolly. 
yeah. I've seen it happen. You know, and, and again, this betrayal thing, like, you know, when you wake up and you realize that you've been, that people that taught you and loved you and cultivated your mind and your heart and your soul and your spirit, like, betrayed you and betrayed our country when it came to this, you ha have to stand up to that. You have to betray that betrayal. You have to choose to betray that betrayal and step to it or you are part of it. Like you don't, I mean, it just became very clear that like there's no, there's no, there's no neutral in this work. So yeah. it just I, kind I'll, of, yeah, go for it. I'll be honest with you. For me, anti-racism work is personal, very personal, extremely personal. I take it personal. Um, and, and I'll be honest with you. For as long as I've been doing, you know, I, I was doing anti-racism work before it was called anti-racism work. And I'm not saying this in a bad way. It's just I was just doing the work like because it was personal. It was personal. Um, and I never, ever thought literally never. I never thought I'm doing this to help the black community. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I just didn't. That's not what I saw what I was doing. I truly felt like that I came from. The, the, the castle of white supremacy. I truly felt like I came from the, 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 the ground zero of racism. And I've seen it and I know what it looks like and I know what it smells like and I know what it acts like and I know what it talks like when the doors are closed and I know how two-faced it is. It's so two-faced. Literally, it's just, it's slimy and green and, and, and uh, you know, it's just, it's grimy. It's, it's gross. I've seen it up close and personal i've loved it i've hugged it i've been hugged by it and when i realized what it was that's fucking personal to me and it's been my life's mission to fucking dismantle that people say to me all the time it's ignorant shit well, what are you doing to help the black community listen I, i'm a strong fucking advocate of stay in your lane i'm not black i don't i can't i I'm not, I don't know the problems in the black community. Can a black person tell me? Sure. They're also not a monolith. You can't say the black community is one big monolith. So, like, let's stop these superfluous, just useless conversations and just understand white people need to understand. They've, they've heard what white people say behind closed doors. They've heard how white people act. They've watched white people do racist things and say racist things. And then you turn around and say, racism doesn't exist. That's personal to me. It pisses me off. It angers me. And I won't, I literally, I want to be the Trojan horse that just walks right in and blows your whole fucking house of cards down. That's personal to me. It's really super fucking personal to me because I know it exists. You cannot, it angers me when people say, well, well, 1964, the civil rights, shut the fuck up. Racism exists. I was taught how to be them. That's how they multiply them. That's fucking who literally toxic traditions and implicit biases. They're all right here. I, I've watched it. So it's very personal to me, extremely personal. I, that makes so, so much sense to me. And I want to tag on to one of the things that you said and we were having that conversation about the email that we got earlier, and some <laughs> some of the some of the things that you you uh, have experienced. I, I've I've joined one of your lives before, where where somebody wanted to talk about um, the black the black community and helping the black community. That was <laughs> God, exactly. I don't, don't want to give those pe any people any any shout outs because right. <clears throat> but people always want to talk about that's that you know that's the deflection. Let's talk about the black community. Let's talk about black right. black crime. Let's talk about all of those things, right? But one of the things I wanted to tag on that you said 
was really being able to stay like you can't really you're not do you can't do this work for black people because and as we know and you know we're we are all on tiktok probably me because i'm i only if if it takes more than 30 seconds to make a video i'm done so so oh, that's I, my my I'm right rich. so right so that is why my, <laughs> my following stays under ten thousand because i i'm not doing it but one of the things is is that if you don't one stay accountable to the to the black community or not just doing work in your own community you can't really help or you can't really do this for black people because not all of them are going to if you're i always tell people and i've told i do i do dei work all the time i always tell people if you're coming to do this work to get a cookie you might as well take the, the first you. cookie you see and leave because not every black person is going to be accepting of you right hey, plus, not every black Go ahead. Sorry, I, sorry, I get emotional real quick. I didn't mean to cut you off. That's no, my, you go, go ahead, ahead. Go, go ahead. ahead. But go I ahead. think so. We're not all going to accept you. And I say, and the thing is, I've heard. Listen, because my job, I mean, I'd like for my work to get to a place where I'm untying black people from white supremacy, and that's yeah. a different fight. But that's not a fight or a conversation I, I would even have with the two of you because it's not a place for the two. Of you. I would leave if you tried. Right. So that's like, the thing. So exactly for me, when I'm doing this work with white people, is because I'm at least opening myself up to have this conversation. For you honestly you need to be paying me i'm not really doing it for free because if people often think that this work is unstudied uh, uh it, like it's just like you hear so many white people come to the work and say i'm so passionate about this because my so-and-so is black because my child is black okay but what if your child grows up and hates you what if your husband leaves you what Are if you that relationship changes doing... Thank right. you. So, Thank it, it, it reminds me and i'm gonna go really cheesy here in that in sex in the city um the character of Charlotte wanted to become, um, she married it, she was dating a Jewish guy and then they broke up and she was like, no, but I'm not gonna, I'm still gonna be Jewish because I committed to this, right? So it's, it, the relation, if the relationship changes, how do you still be a part of this, right? right? Because not every black person, some black people are gonna say, see your way over there, away from me. And that, and because of the mistrust and the distrust, but what are you doing? So my, my, I guess, and, and I know we're closing soon. One of the questions I want to ask you all is what do you do to stay accountable to yourself or to the work in general? How do you stay accountable? Because one of the, I mean, you can do this work. And as we know, there are people who get book deals, who get TV shows, who get, and then not, not all of them are just black people or just white people. There are some black people who do it as well. How do you stay accountable in this work? Not even to black people, but I think that to some degree, all white people doing race work need to be accountable to black people. Because if, if I say, hey, Jolly, this is definitely not the way to do it. You know, that's the conversation we need to be having and whether we're having it in front of people so other people can learn or private because we have a relationship, right? Because that's a privy conversation. How do you all stay accountable? And then I say that because, and I say, I, I, I point to you, Jolly, because me and Mel have these conversations as well, but how do you all for yourself stay accountable? How do you keep learning? How do you keep your privilege in check? Mika first? Okay. Yeah, so yeah. first, let me just say to what you were just going on, uh, before that question, because I a thousand percent agree. Like, I'll be honest, I've never felt like and and here's the problem with social media and the internet is is people have bastardized so many things that it's hard to say certain things without connotation being there. But what I'm about to say, I'm saying it from my heart of hearts, and I've said this way before anybody knew who I was. I've never felt like the black community needed help. I never felt like I didn't. I, I even when I was fi like. 
again, I was having this conversation way before social media. Matter of fact, when, when Facebook came around 2010, I specifically remember when Facebook came around because my son was born that year. And, you know, I, I, I wanted nothing to do with social media. I said, God, it's social media. And then I would see people post, like I would hear about a Facebook post. I'm like, man, maybe I should get on Facebook. People have some conversation I want to be part of. So I got on Facebook and all my posts were about race and politics. That was it. People are like, man, I'm, I'm going to stop following you, Russell, man. All you talk about is race and politics. Yeah, okay, then don't follow me, bro, because that's all I'm going to talk about. I'm passionate about this. At no point during the last 22 years of me having this conversation did I ever feel like the black community needed my help. I legitimately, I mean this from my heart of heart, and maybe it's because my brothers and sisters are, are black. They don't. My brothers and sisters are mixed, but they don't identify as white, obviously, because the world don't see them as white. The world sees them as black. Uh, and, and my brothers and sisters in my mind are super strong individuals. I see the black community as fucking strong as shit. And, and, and all the shit the black community has been through. And look what the fuck the black community has accomplished. I have never thought for a second, need my help, buddy. I've never thought that. I've always viewed what I'm doing as a fight with white America. I viewed it that way. Um, and so when people bring that up, what about black on black crime? Just a, I'm always confused, like, how the fuck did you get there? How did what I'm saying get you to that conversation? Because I'm not talking about the black community. I'm talking about shit white people are doing. And so for me, how do I stay accountable? It's, it, it, it's, almost, it's almost second nature for me at this point is I realize that I learned what I learned, and I realize I learned how I learned what I learned by listening to people that have different experiences than me. That's how I learned what I learned what I learned. And so I, I take the fight against white supremacy personal, but I don't take criticism personal. I actually take criticism extremely well in, in terms of I reflect. Somebody say, hey, hey, Jolly, man, you shouldn't do that. Hmm, really? And I'm like, what the fuck, really? Like, why? Right? So that's like my thing. Um, I've had people say to me before, you know, like, they just met me. Man, you racist. What made you think that? What led you to that conclusion? What did I do? That's my response. I want to hear your thought process. How'd you get there? I don't want to say I'm not a racist. I want to say, how'd you get there? What's your thought process? Because that's interesting. Did I do something to make you say that? That's interesting to me, right? This is what we have to do. We have to put aside our personal ego and our, and our, and our personal, you know, feelings and understand that there are people who have different experiences than us. And if you're not willing to listen to people that have a different experience than you, then this, you're not doing any work. You're not in the work. There is no work, right? Because the way that I got in this work was listening to people who have different experiences than me. Because there was a whole other world out there that I'd never seen or heard of before until I heard Malcolm say I didn't have a family name. Right? So you have to listen. And I, I like what you said, accountable to the black community. That's right. Because you know what? At the end of the day, at the end of the day, no matter what fucking opinion I have, no matter what I say, preach, write in a book, whatever, the decisions that are made, the decisions that are made won't affect me. They'll affect marginalized communities. They'll affect black America. They'll affect, you know, brown America. They'll affect the LGBTQIA plus community. These are affected communities by these conversations. So at the end of the day, if the opinion you have is not going to influence a change that will affect you directly, then be open for criticism. Because the other communities that are giving you that criticism, it fucking affects them directly. That that matters. That means something. And so that's just how I view it. And it doesn't bother me. I love being wrong. Fuck it. I'm wrong today. Fuck yeah. Now I'm about to learn something. Let's go.
<laughs> right. <laughs> that, 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 I, I wish more people were like, I was wrong. Thank you for pointing that out to me because I tell people that, and I've had, I've had this conversation, Mel and I, as we put this 14 week course together last year, if somebody tells you that you are wrong, imagine how long it took them to get to that place. Ooh. Right. Yeah. The courage to say it. Right. Then they yeah. have that conversation with you and what they're doing is building a bridge to keep the relationship open. Cause if I, if you say something I don't like and you not worth my time, Fuck him. Fuck the conversation. I ain't having this conversation with him. Oh, I'm right. going to stay away from Jolly because he say weird shit out his mouth. Watch him. And I'm going to tell other people to watch you. So less and less black people going to be around you. But if I say something to you, it's because I already value the relationship or I value the potential in our relationship to continue. And how you respond is going to be whether we can continue. And you probably know it's going to be received, right? And the receptiveness, yeah. right? No, I mean, sometimes, sometimes, yes, sometimes no. But then, you know, right. I'm a person who has had to put my mouth, my, my, my ego on the line or not my ego i've had to put myself on the line um be to a boss because i and i'll tell a, a, a really short story because i know we're we're over to, well not over but um i had um i had a, a one of a, a manager of mine put his hand i was wearing a head wrap and he put his hands on my head this is so nice and i was like this is like, and at this point, it's like the seventh time, right? And you know, but this is not my boss. It's not my boss's boss. It's not my boss's boss. It's my boss's boss's boss. And I, and I probably told this story already, even in a couple of weeks. But um, a young, a student, I was working at a university, and a student looked at me, and she saw it. And I knew at that moment, if I let that pass, mm, you and I message. was telling her yes. it was acceptable and something she Facts. was going to have to accept. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I went into that boss's 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 office and had a conversation with him. And for me, it was never about how it was going to come out, whether I was not going to be promoted in that job. Because to me, sometimes, the you know, at certain jobs, you know, listen, the only thing I'm leaving with is my paycheck and my integrity, right. and I'm good with that. <laughs> right, right, and right, I knew right. that. I knew that at that job, especially because of the environment when we were in, but when I left that conversation with that person, and hopefully they learned something, they took something on their way, I went back to her and said, I, went and I wanted you to know I had that conversation with him because it was not okay and you shouldn't have to accept it. Because for a long time, Black people in the community would say, that's just what you have to do. That's where respectability politics even comes from. But that'll be a conversation for a later date. Mel, how do you stay accountable in this world? So as you both were talking, I, I think I can identify three pretty big things that I try to make sure to check myself. Um, first of all, am I, like, like it's been established, listening to people of color, but actually following the leadership of people of color I think that that's not something that I hear white people talk about often because white people like to maintain control and uh <laughs> you know the the important voice in the room but recognizing that I am not the expert as someone who hasn't been on the receiving end of this so listening to and following the leadership of people of color uh being self-reflective like you said Jolly like did I do something wrong thank you thank you for educating me and Thank you for helping me learn. And let's let this moment make our relationship, str relationship stronger instead of weaker. Yeah. And the third thing I would say is um, asking myself, what am I doing this for? What's really my motive? Am I doing it for a cookie? Am I doing it for the money? Am I doing it because someone's going to be like, oh, you're such a good person. You're an anti-racist, right? What, what are my motivations? Do I need to be a good person here? Right. Or am I doing it because it's the right thing to do? And I'll also add too, like, you know, you asked the question about like, how has this impacted our relationships? How does this impact like, you know, in some, in some ways like our identity, like we haven't quite touched on this, but racism, racism is bad for white 
people. Racism is bad for oh, white we'll people. I will spend a whole episode on that, but yes, let's touch on it because it's, it's true. Right? It, it causes us to to actively kill our own empathy and our own connection with our neighbors. That is not good for us emotionally, mentally, spiritually. It's it, it destroys white people from the inside too. It's good for nobody. So it's not just like this, this beneficial thing like, oh, I'm gonna be a good person, Dane from on high to fix this problem. No, this thing is hurting me also, and it is for everybody's benefit. So and it, I guess and it's and like keeping that in perspective. In- I know we can't go too deeper into that because we'd be here another two hours, three hours, whatever. Let's go. <laughs> I got a I'm here. <laughs> but one of the things is is not, you know, racism is killing white people emotionally, but it's a lie that's being told to you that right. you can't even right. reach, you can't even meet up to, you can't even reach. It to, prevents right? your, your full circle of humanness to be, you can't make a full circle. Yes. You, there's, and, and what I'll say too, I'll give you a good anecdote because you gave an anecdote of what? I posted something when, remember when um, Congress passed the law for Juneteenth, right? Um, to make Juneteenth a federal holiday. I posted on my Instagram, actually, not even on my TikTok at the time. Uh, I posted on my Instagram. I said, you know, well, I guess this is a step in the right direction. You know, good job, Congress. And a bunch of people got in my comment section like, yo, jolly, bro. I didn't expect that from you. You really think this shit matters? This is performative as fuck, bro. Are you serious about this? Now, I got two choices. What do I, what are my choices? defend my actions and be like hey why would you say that you know me i'm jolly right or stop and be like what's he talking about and i did and i took the post down and i put a post up right behind it and i said i read your comments and i thought about what you were saying and that's a really good fucking point this is performative you know what they're dropping cookie crumbs to make people happy and, and i ate it yeah. that's how rats get caught in traps right they eat the fucking crumb <laughs> Yep. Yep. Yeah. And then I had a whole slew of motherfuckers three times the comments that said, Oh my God, bro, like good on you for fucking listening and changing. And it was such this big novel moment. I didn't think it was that big of a deal. But in the modern day and age, fuck, that's a big deal. Right? To simply say, Hey, that's a good point. I'm wrong. Let's and oh, I've listen, done that. You, you, I mean, I'm sure I'm sure in your in your line of work and we know and you know, from being even present on social media. You've gotten invited to the cookout by so many, by I, so many people. So but many. I tell people, yeah. I'll tell people like I, I use that a uh, blue ivy calm down Beyonce hand. Like stop inviting people to the cookout. The cookout is canceled because y'all inviting these people and then you don't know who or what they're doing thereafter, right? Well, you know and what? I, I'm glad you said that because it's exactly what Mel just said, and that is I call it the voting sticker. When you go vote, what happens? You get a sticker. Everybody knows you fucking voted. That is what white people see as an ally. I, I hate the term ally. Don't call me an ally. I fucking hate the term. I, I would rather just not have a title. What's my title is fuck white supremacy. That's my enemy. And so, but that's what they want. I got the title ally. So guess what? Not racist anymore, bro. You can't call yeah. me fucking racist. I graduated. Right? Yeah, I graduated. <laughs> Look, I'm an ally, dude. Are you serious? I'm an ally. Me, bro. I'm an ally. And then, you know, um, it's, it's this concept being invited to the, the cookout, right? I've literally, and like you said, I've I've had, I guess if I was to count, probably in the neighborhood of sixty six thousand three hundred ninety two comments that said you're invited to the cookout. <laughs> um, understanding, again, having uh, being deeply involved in the black community, I understand the respect that comes from that statement. Okay, I get it, and I and I, and I'm honored that you would respect me to make this statement. Yeah. Never in my social media career have I replied to a comment that said you're invited to the cookout. Listen, Here's why. If you- 
go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I was gonna say if you listen, uh, if you made it, if you did um, the the Dougie, you'd be invited to the cookout. But we not. I'm, That's I'm not, the point. The point is, we, white people need to understand that racism isn't a light switch. Mm-hmm. Oh, they I got invited to the cookout. Boop. Oh, I'm an ally. Boop. I'm not a racist anymore. Like switch off. And that's the problem in terms of the white community. In terms of white community, white people think that I did something and I got the approval of the black community and now I'm fucking set for life. And that's the problem. If you're doing this for the black community, that is inherently problematic. Yeah. Because that's the white savior complex, right? The black community. And again, I'm not saying this for kudos or cookie. Like you said, I love the, the analogy cookie. I'm not doing this for a cookie. Because I, I really do believe this. The black community is strong as fuck. Like, you have to be strong as fuck to go through what the fucking black community has come through. People say, oh, you're creating a victim mentality. You're kidding? No, these are fucking victors. I mean, that's just, that's, that's, that's quantifiable. Mathematically quantifiable. I've never thought for a second that what I'm doing is for the black community. I never thought that because I never thought the black community needed me. So no matter if you're invited to the cookout or somebody called you an ally, this is work that must be done over and over every day. Constant self-accountability, constant listening, putting your ego aside, learning, growing. This deconstruction of hate and bigotry, and it's beyond racism. It's, it's homophobia, it's transphobia, it's everything. This deconstruction of hate and bigotry is a long fucking process. Yeah. And if you're not ready for that process then people what people want is the process to end unfortunately it doesn't takes a long time to take change it takes culture. a long time yeah do you understand i got asian kids asian kids they're literally half korean and i have to fucking these days not so much i, I do really good these days but there was a while where i would catch myself saying in this fucking blatantly racist shit like jokes right it's just a joke about you know I maybe make fun of an Asian accent, right? Or say something or, you know, joking. And I was like, fuck's your problem, dude? You goddamn kids have Korean. Are you fucking stupid? Like, this is the conversation I'm having with myself because it's growing, bro. It's not turned off overnight. Yeah. If there was one message, if you said to me, hey, you're dead tomorrow. Tomorrow you're dead. So what one, what one message do you want to leave to white America? And that's my message. That to me, I think is the most important message is that racism, hate, bigotry, it's a spectrum. And you need to figure out where you are on that spectrum. Before we started, Mel, you had a great little. Yeah, you want me to show it? Okay. Yeah, so that's like a good. One. A, there you go. It's like a it's like a half circle. If you're listening, half circle it goes from red to yellow to green, right? So across the across of it says, I love on that. the on the far side we've got you know white supremacy. You think of like people wearing white hoods, right? Yep. You get white voyeurism, like uh, people who like to like look at people of color and just like gawk and treat treat mm-hmm. them like other, right? Then you get white privilege, people who don't recognize, you know, the t- kinds of privilege that society affords you without question. Then you've got white, white benefit. Yeah. Uh, then white confessional. Oh, I'm white. I'm going to confess all my sins as a white person so you can make me feel good about myself. Then we've got white critical, you know, so we're starting to get sort of the territory we've been today. Like we're, we're going to criticize these white norms these and how whiteness acts like a blanket. Then we've got white traitor, like actually calling out the bullshit, right? Like, and then on the very far, 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 far side of the spectrum, you have white abolition, which if you see that little white- John Brown. Abolitionist, abolitionist. Abolitionist, yeah, yeah, white abolitionist. 
uh, you see the little white needle? It's it's almost to the edge, right? So we're we're not trying to get rid of white people, but we're trying to understand that whiteness as a cover for white supremacy is unacceptable and think, is hurting us. I mean, one of the things, and I'll and I'll and I'll, I'll kind of jump in there too and say that you know people don't realize when there was a Black Panthers, there was also a White Panthers. So it's not. I didn't know that. Were, yes, there was a White Panthers. And when I first heard oh White Panthers, God. I was like, does that sound like the red KKK? No, they were <laughs> no. an abolitionist group within Correct. white mm-hmm. people. And within- all of them are still alive. And that's the thing. Mm-hmm. There have always been white people in this fight. But now people are doing it either for the wrong reasons or, and this is the thing, as we talked a little bit about earlier with white supremacy, if you are fighting against it, right? Like, because you because fighting against it is what you need to do, then you don't have to you will start to feel better about yourself anyway because you'll be mm-hmm. like, I, I'm a, you can start to inherently feel like a good person instead of just saying it out loud. Like, I'm a good person, I'm a good person. You can say that, you know, they, black people got a lot of sayings and one of them is good intentions paved the way the hell, right? But if you talk about your, you have to be able to engage with that and I want people to not, I don't want, you know, and when I'm doing this work, I'm doing it not that I want white people to feel bad about themselves or whatever that but but i'm also not here to make you feel good about yourself like i'm just here and if i can help you learn then great but we have to understand that like white supremacy is killing you it if you and that's and that is the you know we can get into that for real but that's the deep mental part of it is that if we stay fighting poor black poor white then 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 you know the one percent will win so that's why it, it, it makes it you know if you fight against me and the black person and I don't want black people are all on welfare these welfare queens blah 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 then then when they say we should give free free health care to everyone you're gonna say no and then a bunch of white people gonna die too like mm-hmm. and then white what? it's gonna like when we think about I think about the white beauty standard how many white women don't fit the white beauty standard right how right. many? Most of them. Be better to just do away with it, right? Like, right, let's just fucking a, do away with it. But it's a standard that white people right. will literally, white women will literally starve themselves mm-hmm. to death to be a part of, but they don't fit it at all. Like, do you have straight blonde hair? Do you have blue eyes? Do you have this body? I, mm-hmm. listen, there was a study, there were studies done, and I used to do this when I was in college. We had to do all of these studies that black women, and until the advent of social media the way it exists today, Black people had a lot lower rates of having um, anorexia, bulimia, and, um, and and different nervosas because mm-hmm. we weren't a part of the American beauty standard, right. so it wasn't no try. There was no try, and we had a completely one that right. was completely outside of that. Right, right. Our beauty standard was completely outside. I was, I never thought I was gonna look like a, a Christy Brinkley. Like that's not that's not gonna happen over here. So we, so I wasn't going to start starving myself to be a part of that. It has changed a little bit now with that. But I just say that to say like, and, and I know I want to wrap up, but I want to say like, I, I think thinking about being accountable and what you do to stay in the work is really important because as you continue, you have to self-sustain somehow, right? And I always tell people like, there are people, there need to be, for for their, for this, it work to exist there need to there needs to be jollies there need to be people who are angry about it but there also need to be people like mel who can who who are more you know calm in conversation and and more happy-go-lucky and are not necessarily so angry because everybody who meets jolly won't learn from him but everybody meets who meets mel won't learn from him won't learn from you so we need to have that balance and i think that that's important but i think, I think everybody most, has a role in the fight right like, absolutely you know that's the thing and and, and that to your previous point, I'm gonna say this before I forget because you were making a good point. 
the problem I see, especially with the advent of social media, especially with, you know, the events of last year and the murder of George Floyd, um, is there's a lot of white people who did wake up and said, God damn, racism is real. I didn't realize it. And here's the problem. You know how when you start a new job, you're like, fuck yeah, I'm ready to go. I want to do this new job. But then you've been working there for a year. It's like, okay, this job kind of sucks. Two years, they fuck this job, right? It's still a so, job. Yeah, exactly. There's always that new higher energy. I call it the new higher energy when white mm-hmm. people first wake up. They have that new higher energy. Yeah. It's like and a honeymoon pro- period. Yeah. Yes, yes. And white people come in like, I'm fucking hard charging. I'm ready to go. And they speak over black America. They speak for black America. And then when they get checked on, the, they they speak at black America. Right. And so that's what I want white people to really understand is if it, 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 listen, Mel, it, let's say I'm your friend. I got a key to your house and you're at work and I know you've had a hard week and I I, I secretly go to your house and use my key that you've given me because you trust me with that. And I clean your house up spick and span before you get home. And then when you come home, what would I what would I naturally as a human being expect? Probably a positive reaction, maybe a yeah. phone call. I can't believe you did this for me. That's so thoughtful. Thank you. You're an amazing human being. That's the problem. White America is looking for that phone call because yeah. they're doing it. They're doing it. They think that they're cleaning black America's house up for them. Yeah. And that's what I want white America to understand. When you wake up and understand there's racism, please understand that the racism was started by white America, perpetrated by white America, perpetuated by white America, and dedicated by white America. Yeah. So when you wake up and realize racism is real, stop trying to clean black America's house up and realize the work is cleaning white America's house up and you'll stop looking for that pat on the back and you won't feel so bad when you get checked. And that's the thing too, that is so well said. And that's the thing too, that when you first start doing this work, a lot of times you'll get a lot of cookies, but then when you really start doing the work like, it's well, you're going to get called a grifter. You're going to get called names. You're going to get called a race trader. Like, you're going to take some hits and you can't get your feelings hurt and just run for the hills because people are mean to you because you're actually starting to make sense and push some buttons that people don't want you to push. And th- But those are the wh- those are the white buttons. You you might start stop getting cookies from from black people. You or yeah. then, And then you got to go find a new audience and a bigger audience. Yeah. And more. And you, you I mean, know, that, if you're pushing the buttons feed. of black people, I think you need to stop. You need to stop and sit down and listen. Right, I'm talking right. about like specifically no, making white people mad. White people, but you may not be getting as many cookies in the beginning because now you're right. doing the work and you're deep entrenched in the work. I yeah. don't get cookies for this work. So if somebody give me you cookies, bitch, give me half. Like, like I tell people this all the time. Like, I people when I talk about race and I have and I have and I love having partners in this work. Co-conspirators, I have co-conspirators in all the work, and they look in all they look all very very different, right? And sometimes I use them. And I'll say this, I've used Mel as well. Hey Mel, I need you to come in and be a partner in this work because they're gonna listen to you different than they listen to me. You Back. say partner, I say Back. token white person and I'm fine with it. You can I be understand. So, you can be my token white person. And I think, yeah. I just think that that's, a, that's the, the, you know, the overarching is that you have to do this. And then it, that I'll give, let's give, cause you know, people love a good takeaway. The takeaway is you have to do this work in whatever way it fits for you that feels the most natural for you in whatever area you sit in. So if you are an artist, paint about it. If you are a singer, sing about it. If you are, because not everybody can be if you're an, an educator, educate about it. Right, yeah. exactly. Right. I, I, I talk a lot about that because people say like, oh, you know, Jolly's in the streets. And I am. I, I, I protest a lot. I go to a lot of protests. I get involved a lot. And, you know, what have you done? And I always check them. I appreciate you giving me props, but don't use my work to put down the work of somebody else. What you need, to, what people need to understand in this age of social media, there's work to be done on social media. There's a lot of work to be done on social media without ever stepping foot in the street. Education, um, you know, 
checking your own people, putting them in check. Yo, that's some racist shit you're doing right there, right? And so what I always say is if you do more than me in this fight, I respect you for it. If you do less than me in this fight, I respect you for it. If you do exactly what I do in this fight, I respect you for it. But God damn it, do something in yeah. this fight. Just Find where you fit in and just do something. Stop having the activism Olympics. Stop trying to figure out who's doing more and who's doing what. And, and, and oh, yeah, you talk about it. Listen, walking the walk means staying true to your word. It means you're not looking for that cookie. You're not looking for that pat on the back. This is You're really about this work because you're right. You're right. When you first start, you get a lot of cookies. Now, because of the size of my platform, there are tons of people in my comments that all the time. Oh, Jolly, I love you, right? And that's great and all. But I promise you on everything I love in this world, you can take my social media platform for me tomorrow and erase them all. And I'm still going to do this work because that's not what I'm in it for. And so for the takeaway literally for me and white America is find your fucking place in this fight. What's your strength? What's your fucking, you know, what do you do? And just do it. Stay true who you are. Fight white supremacy. Don't help black America fight white supremacy. That will help everybody. And, and, and you'll get a lot further in it. So. And please, for the love of God, get more angry about racism existing mm. than about being called a mm. racist. Please. please, for the love of yes. God, just think about it real hard. Yeah. <laughs> so I, we want to say thank you for coming and having this conversation thank you for having with me. us. Absolutely. Um, you know where to find Jolly, because if you know where to find us, then you definitely know where to find <laughs> them. We're all on TikTok. We're all on Instagram. And this is live stream to Facebook. We'll take the question. We have some audience questions. We'll get them. We'll kick them back to next week. Um, we really just want to say thank you for having this conversation with us and get, getting and doing this work. I'm not going to thank y'all for the work. I'm going to say keep doing it. That's, that's keep doing it, baby. Yes. Hey, and, and sorry for rambling. I know I no, rambled. No, no, no. That, I mean, no, it's I, listen, awesome. That's what we thank came you for. So I, much. I really be able. I really wanted to be able to have this conversation without parent. And believe it or not, we have an outline for the show, and we got to everything and more on it. So thank yes. you so much. Um, well, every time people tell me we got an hour long show, I'm like, God, why do I get invited to hour long shows, bro? Like, <laughs> like next week is, is no, it's two weeks from now. I'm on NBC Radio has me coming on their show. Oh, sweet. And, yeah, which is cool because it's NBC Radio. Woo! He was like, it's an hour long show. That like, bro, you better have like Listen, some preset you, questions you and make me shut up and because an hour. That's you know what I mean. You would that's be surprised. Tough. I I have gotten and I do this professionally as well. I have gotten. Hey, we have 30 minutes <laughs> to talk about racism. I can't and, even tell you a story and, in 30 and, minutes, bro. Right, in, a, in an audience of 1,500. God, in 30 minutes? What are you going to tell in 30 minutes? minutes? Your name? Yep. I mean, I <laughs> so when I do these, I, 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 so I definitely understand the parameters. Mm. So thank you for having this conversation with us. You can catch us back here next Tuesday at eight, and this will be posted everywhere. So if you couldn't catch us right, well, some of some of y'all have us in our po in your pocket because we're we are on Apple Podcasts, but you can catch us here next Tuesday as well. Um, thank you. Have a good night, and we'll talk to you all soon. All power to the people. Cheers. All right, bye bye. <laughs>